0: Welcome to another episode of the Green Minds podcast. My name is Claudia and together with Moritz, we will be talking about sustainability at Imperial College London. Hi, Moritz. Hello, everybody. So this week is sustainability week at Imperial. And in this episode, we'd like to showcase Imperial's sustainability efforts and talk about the sustainability strategy as well as the new food and drinks policy at Imperial, for which we invited a person who actually worked on the policy, so stay tuned for that. By the end of the podcast, we hope you'll be more aware of what Imperial does on this front and you'll be motivated to join the fight. So let's start in the year 2012, when the sustainability efforts at Imperial started with the launch of its first sustainability strategy, which outlined Imperial's commitment to reducing its carbon footprint and promoting sustainable practices. Moritz, can you tell us a bit more about the strategy?
1: Yes, sure. The strategy itself was was quite unique at that point. It has established a vision for Imperial to, to basically become a leader in sustainability and set out a number of goals to achieve this vision. The goals included reducing carbon emissions, promoting sustainable travel, and embedding sustainability across the college operations. The strategy identified a number of key areas for improving the sustainability of Imperial, including waste management as well as sustainable procurement. It also established a framework for monitoring and reporting on Imperial's sustainability performance, including the development of a sustainability dashboard to track progress towards sustainability goals. Overall, especially now looking back at it, with over 10 years being passed, the key takeaways from that first sustainability strategy were definitely the establishment of a vision and goals for sustainability, as well as the recognition of the importance of governance structures, the commitment to integrating sustainability into education and research, as well as the focus on improving the sustainability of operations and the establishment of a framework, for monitoring and reporting on sustainability performance. The next year, 2013, the college opened the carbon capture pile plant, a facility that tested carbon capture and storage technologies for industrial applications. And this basically showcased not only that Imperial has a strategy in place, but was willing to take action on its sustainability.
0: And then in twenty fourteen, the Grantham Institute for Climate Change and the Environment was established at Imperial College, which con which is an institute that conducts research and hosts events related to climate change and sustainability. It is actually not one of a kind because there is another Grantham Institute at the London School of Economics, and it is an organization set up by the Grantham Foundation. And the main goal of the Grantham Institute is to bring together researchers and decision makers in business and governments. And communicate research to help ensure that choices are based on the best understanding of the science and evidence available. And uh, the one interesting thing about the Grantham Institute is that it, it is an institute that co delivers a, a master's degree at the Imperial College Business School, the MSc Climate Change Management and Finance, which Morris and I are both studying. And what's also interesting to note when it comes to Imperial sustainability efforts is that they actually have another program focused on sustainability, which is the MSc in environmental technology. So after this, this happened in 2014. And in 2015, which was a big year for the climate from the climate action, the college pledged to divest from fossil fuels, and then they begin a process to phase out its investment in companies that derive more than 10% of their revenue from coal or oil. So that happens in 2015 and the next year, 2016, Imperial launched its uh, first sustainable food policy because we know that food is a big component in the net zero fight. So it's important that it's it's good to know that Imperial also thought of this in 2016. And we're going to get back to this actually because they launched an updated version in 2022, but we're still in 2016. So, Moritz, what happened after this?
1: Well... When we, when we talk about taking action, in 2017, Imperial decided to install a large-scale solar panel system on the roof of its buildings, generating renewable energy, and ultimately, of course, helping to reduce the college carbon emissions. Uh, this was then also in line with two years later, in 2019, the college announced a new target to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2040, which is, of course, 10 years ahead of the UK government's target. We are going to come back to that because the, the, that net zero target is not 100% clear, but it is definitely a step into the right direction. In 2020, we then saw the launch of Imperial Circle Economy Strategy, also a very, very important strategic milestone outlining the commitment to reducing waste and promoting the reuse and recycling of materials, which also is very much aligned with the new updated food and drink policy, which Claudia will talk about in a second.
0: Yeah, and then this brings us to 2021, which is the year when Imperial joins the UN Global Compact, which is a voluntary initiative that encourages businesses and organizations and institutions like Imperial to adopt sustainable and socially responsible policies and practices, which also led Imperial to launch their updated sustainability strategy launching in early 2021. So this is a strategy 2021 until 2026 and beyond, because it gives more details on the net zero road by 2040. It also is kind of split up in between three sections. So the first one is resource management. These are all the operational things that Imperial plans to do, such as energy use, waste management, procurement, catering, and travel. Then there's the academic excellence part of the strategy, which basically focuses on research that Imperial College can do. And then the third thing, which is also very important in any sustainability strategy, is the engagement part. So working with the college community, such as staff and students, as well as partners, such as suppliers. And this, this, so this came out in early 2021, but then in the next year, Imperial worked on its new sustainable food and drink policy separately. And that launched last year in 2022. Let's hear more from Ella Shepard, who will talk us through this policy in more detail. I'm happy to welcome Ella Shepard, Assistant Catering and Events Operations Manager at Imperial College London. Ella, welcome to the Green Minds podcast.
2: Hi, thanks for having
0: me. So, at the end of 2022, Imperial launched a new sustainable food and drink policy. The policy was led by the college's in-house catering team, Taste Imperial, and it is an outcome of the document in the Sustainability Strategy 2022-2026, and it will apply to all outlets, restaurants, bars, and stores on campus. Some commitments include removing beef from the meals menu entirely by 2025 and making all non-dairy milk free of charge, which means oat milk, etc. Could you please walk us through the other commitments and maybe go a bit more depth into the three categories, which are like meat and dairy, fish and fruit and vegetables?
2: Yeah, of course. So if we talk about meat first, that's one of our biggest goals: is to remove beef by. 2025 and 2026, reducing it by 35% each year. We've already massively reduced that by 47% over the last five years. We hope to possibly remove lamb at the same time, but that is not a definite. We want to increase plant-based alternatives by 50% by 2024, so next year. And at the moment, we're ensuring 100% of our livestock is red tractor certified and at least 80% is higher welfare and we want to increase this by 5% each year so hoping to go up to 100% fruit and veg wise we want to try and ensure that the veg we use is seasonal so we are not trying to source so much out of season fruit and veg and we want to increase the amount that is on the plate and concerning fish it's always MSC certified we always want to buy fish that is like the green list not the red list so it's kind of certified you can fish it without being so harmful to the environment and as you mentioned non-dairy milk we're going to make it free of charge there's already a lot of marketing around campus concerning that because it's a lot more environmentally friendly a lot less carbon produced with the transport and the growing of the ingredients for it
0: one more question follow-up on the on the beef so there will be no, if I understand it correctly, there will be no substitution, like meat-wise substitution. So there, let's say there will be no increase in chicken options if there is less beef, right? That's
2: being confirmed yet. Yeah. We hope, as I would speak about further down, to increase our meat alternatives. So it possibly be a plant-based meat alternative rather than increasing all the meat to just substitute the removal of beef.
0: Okay, I understand. And can you maybe briefly talk us through the policy development process? So kind of who brought the first to work on the food and drink policy and how was the development? How did the development process look like? Mm -hmm.
2: So we have our internal Imperial's internal green team, Greening Imperial. So they wanted to start looking at different divisions in the college and they chose to look at campus services first, in which is catering events, which is my department. So the Director of Campus Services, Jane Neary, she asked us to begin developing it. So the main contributors were Camille Corey, who's the Head of Catering and Events, Tony Shepard, who's Head of Food Production, and Max Lacey, who's Head of Internal Comms and Marketing for campus services so each of them brings something to the table so Tony head of food production obviously he knows the back of house operations he knows actually what is required for on the ground cooking so rather than turning around and saying let's remove all meat next week that's just not possible so he's able to contribute a lot that wise Camille obviously head of catering and events so everything that you see on campus or the outlets or the events that's all him so he knows the delivery and everything like that so his contribution was how we can deliver it properly and Max Lacey just communicating it with the community how we can do that properly so that was how it kind of came about and yeah those three worked on it together.
0: And was there any specific inspiration that you, that you, you gained I'm, I'm asking like obviously it's There is a lot of research on the fact that beef is the most carbon intensive food that we even have due to cows burping methane, et cetera, while developing the policy. Did you collaborate maybe with some scientists or researchers on this or was it just basically all based on some kind of in-house research?
2: I think it was predominantly in-house research. A year or two, I think it was last year, we worked with an intern in Greening Imperial and she calculated a lot of the carbon footprint of our meal also influenced it because it would tell us what meats and stuff were the, the highest producers of carbon. But I think predominantly it was in-house research.
0: How did you approach balancing motivating consumers, in this case students and staff at Imperial, towards making more sustainable choices but not limiting them at the same time? Because for some people, although Imperial has this big strategy and it's kind of on, on the front also with the climate change research, still removal of beef completely might be seen as controversial, so how, how did you approach this? So I'm not
2: sure if you remember we did the dairy-free trial, so we did a dairy-free trial and that's very relevant to this question because we had a lot of backlash in terms of you're removing my options completely, so some outlets you could not get dairy milk with your coffee, we got a lot of negative backlash, so that's really helped us when approaching this, so although there will be a complete removal of beef it's not going to be next week it's not going to be next month so that in itself allows the consumer to almost get around the idea in their head and as we spoke about earlier there will be substitutes whether that's meat free there's not going to be nothing available for the consumer and it's just we have been really pushed to focus on sustainability and if this is the the course of action that we have to take then we will do it because we're not completely eradicating meat we're not making everyone go vegan so it's a small price to pay for uh, towards sustainability and meeting our goals
0: yeah I'm just more asking like how how do you see balancing kind of being pushed towards sustainability versus knowing and also you mentioned this dairy-free experiment knowing that there is going to be backlash right so did you have a lot of internal debate about this and you, you mentioned that it made you rethink some things so i guess it did have some you gave it a bit of thought is what mm. i'm asking
2: yeah yeah we, and, we, and i think that's why the goal is so many years away well like two three years away now because we do have to think about how we're going to phase it out and we do have to think about the communication to the consumer and how we're going to do that so it can't be immediate no
0: Yeah and one of the things about engaging the community is also through summer nudges so you mentioned in the policy that you will complement the changes by the so-called nudges so could you please mention some examples how you will do this and why?
2: Yeah so nudges essentially are just small actions and cues that will help steer or point the customer in the more sustainable direction so that might be for example, on the counter, the first option you see is our most sustainable option. It might be our vegetarian or our vegan option. That might be the first option you see. In terms of marketing, like the dairy-free milk marketing is everywhere now. So that in itself is a small cue. So if you're seeing it everywhere, it could essentially push you in the direction to purchase a dairy-free coffee rather than a dairy coffee. So it's just small things like that, really. So it's not a big pressure on the customer to make this decision. It's just subtle changes, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I also read about how you mentioned how the different choices are positioned in each outlet, but also how the menu is kind of a hierarchically designed, right? So what you see first on the menu, what you see second could be another nudge, or also kind of the by default options, because in our sustainable, in our life choices, kind of lifestyle choices, the thing that it's default makes a big big difference. So in this case, it could theoretically be, for example, with milk, right? Because by default or what do you mean by default in the in the policy?
2: By default, so I think you're referring to the events. So we say by default, the choices will be vegetarian. Ah, So yeah, so in the events, if you're booking an event, you can choose meat, fish, vegetarian, vegan. So what we will do is if someone doesn't go through that process of choosing, it will be a vegetarian like platter or buffet by default, unless they physically go in and change their option. So that is just in in events at the moment, it's not
0: catering wine. All right, I understand. Okay, and what about, because I assume that, and for example, now in in the supermarket, alternative milks are still more expensive than normal milk, the cow milk. So what about financial implications? Have you calculated the implications of these changes and choices? And what did you find? Does it have the potential to bring financial benefit? Or will it be more costly than the current setup? So
2: I think sustainability as a whole is always more costly, unfortunately, which is why it's
0: difficult. As of now, at least.
2: Yeah at the moment unfortunately it is so that's I think that's a stumbling block for a lot of big corporations so yeah it would cost us more money and I think that's another reason we are some might say slowly doing this because we do at the moment cost of living through the roof all of our normal products anyway have gone up by like 30% alone let alone trying to introduce plant-based alternatives which are like 100% more expensive than a meat piece of meat so yeah there will be financial implications and Imperial College we try and run cost neutral and as a department we try not to cost the college anything so we have to think about that as well if we were to just introduce loads of plant-based chicken plant-based beef we would cost the college far too much money than we can so we want to try and absorb these costs and the time frame of the policy is not too ambitious so that we can work out how we can do it.
0: Okay, so there is, is there any prediction or no on the impact it will have financially? So you will, basically it's like the aim is to be neutral, neither lose nor benefit.
2: Yes, so we're not here to make money, we're here to provide a service for the campus, but no, there's no actual cost forecast.
0: Okay, my penultimate question is about assessing and reporting on the progress, right? Because this is just kind of part of a strategy, it's a policy and maybe The consumers on campus would like to see the impact of their choices. So how will you assess and report on the progress?
2: So we're planning on doing like a yearly update so we can see. So, for example, we want to try and reduce 35 percent of beef each year. So next year we can update that and say how much we have reduced and we'll produce more marketing material to be like this is where we're at in terms of reaching the 2026 goals. So that's how we're going to go about it.
0: And do you plan to also report on, let's say, carbon emissions saved so that maybe consumers can see that the impact of their choices is, I mean, yes, it's one thing when it says to you, yes, we reduced beef by that that amount of tons or kilograms. But maybe it would be also nice to see that in terms of some kind of environmental impact. Have you thought of this?
2: Yeah, we've. We're working with a small company at the moment that will hopefully calculate all the carbon footprint of the dishes. So it will be a lot more tangible for the customer. So say they opt for a vegan dish that's so many tons of carbon versus a meat dish that's so many tons of carbon. We can use that data to have an overall kind of estimate of how much carbon has been saved. So, yes, it's definitely something that we're we're working on at the moment.
0: And uh, my last question is about slightly Related to the food problem, but from a different angle. So, part of the food waste problem is part of the food problem is the food waste. And not only food waste per se, but also the waste associated with single-use food and drink containers. But let's start with the food waste part now. So have you thought, as a part of the policy, of any type of way to tackle food waste, for example, through informational campaign or anything else?
2: Yeah, so food waste-wise is very minimal because every day we reuse from the day before. So our food waste is virtually nothing, which is really fantastic. And in terms of food containers... We've explored the idea um, numerous times about a college-wide food container scheme where you can bring back your container, we wash it and we distribute it and we eliminate all take-away, re- single-use takeaway containers, so it's either plates or reusable, but it's extremely costly and we just don't have the space or the facilities to support washing thousands of containers, distributing thousands of containers And there's the issue of visitors, how would we support a visitor coming in if we give them a single-use container? Are we discriminating against people who have forgotten their container and they can't use a single-use? So there are a lot of problems, we're trying to work through them, but yes, we've come back to the idea many times,
0: yeah. So as of now, there is no plan or like no, because in the policy, you mentioned that you will introduce a revised reusable cup scheme. Allowing to efficiently recycle and reuse their cups, so that will lead to eight hundred and fifty thousand plastic cups saved annually. So, are you saying that there are some plans, but they are not one hundred percent confirmed yet, or what's the status?
2: So, the cups is a different scheme. The cups we have launched in the chemistry cafe that is being rolled out to is being rolled out to Saf Cafe. And in the future, it will be rolled out to our bigger cafes like library and college cafe. So that already works. Food containers is a completely different ballgame, really. It's just a much bigger scale that we haven't got any solid plans. It's always something we're trying to look into and overcome the hurdles that we have at the moment.
0: All right. And last question. What would you tell a person who comes to campus, who goes to campus at Imperial and has a bit of doubts about you know, all these sustainable options and kind of changing their behavior and in terms of food and drink. So what would you Mm. say to them as a person who's been working on this policy?
2: Across campus, we have vegan and vegetarian options everywhere. They cost no more than a normal option. And I think the individual themselves, they have to be motivated to want to change the planet um and being more sustainable there's only so much we can do from our side we can present vegan options vegetarian options we can have the information on the menu like the carbon footprint which will be coming soon but if the individual themselves doesn't want to bring their own container or choose a lower carbon option then we can try our best to educate like you said we can say you've saved this much carbon by opting for a different option
0: amazing thank you very much ella for coming to the Green minds and i'll be excited to see how imperial and its users and progress on, on their food and drink behavior
2: yeah thank you so much for having me
1: incredible to hear from someone who's actually working on imperial's uh, sustainability strategy and what imperial is doing to reduce its carbon footprint now we've heard what imperial has done and what the current targets are now the question is what what is happening right now. When we look at the internal efforts, Imperial has a dedicated sustainability team responsible for leading the sustainability efforts across the college. The team works closely not only with other staff members but also with us students and external stakeholders to develop and implement sustainability initiatives and also to monitor and report on progress towards our sustainability targets. Members of the team include individuals responsible for academics, sustainability, engagement, communications, waste, or energy within Imperial. In addition to the sustainability teams, there are many, many individuals and groups across the college who are actively involved in sustainability efforts, including student societies, research groups, and individual staff members. And all these individuals are needed to achieve Imperial sustainability goals. When we look at the carbon emissions that Imperial has been emitting ever since basically, we we know that Imperial is publicly disclosing its carbon emissions on an annual basis. These emissions are published in Imperial's annual environmental report, including data on the college's carbon emissions, energy use, waste management, and other sustainability related metrics. It basically provides a comprehensive overview of the college's sustainability performance and includes data also on carbon emissions associated with the college operations. In addition to the annual report, the college also discloses its carbon emissions via external initiatives such as the Higher Education Carbon Reduction and Investment Initiative, also called Hercules, and the Carbon Disclosure Project, the CDP. The college participation in this initiative demonstrates its commitment to transparency and accountability in its sustainability efforts. That's for sure. But let's take a quick look at the, the hard facts. So in the first year, Imperial started to report its emissions and 2010-2011's carbon footprint was around about 128,000 tons of CO2 equivalents. During the year 2019-2020, of course, impacted by the COVID pandemic the College had reduced its carbon footprint to 63,500 tons of CO2 equivalents, a reduction of over 50% from 2010 to 2011 levels. It is worth noting that Imperial's carbon emissions can fluctuate from year to year due to factors such as the, the COVID pandemic, as well as energy usage and weather conditions. However, we can also see that the college overall trend towards de- decreasing carbon emissions demonstrates its commitment to sustainability and its progress in reducing its environmental impact. However, when we look at all these efforts Imperial has been doing, we can we've still identified a couple of points where we see room of improvement.
0: Yeah, and this is not to say that Imperial's efforts are, you know, are bad or something like that. It's more that we We've talked about all of this, and 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 more as you highlighted the the great let's say carbon disclosure that that Imperial has done. I mean, that's quite unseen what they that they did this already in 2010. But we just want to be a bit more. We we just want to employ a bit of critical thinking. And so the first point that we find as a bit unclear is that Imperial has focused primarily on reducing its direct emissions, so scope one, and indirect emissions from purchased energy, so scope two. Even its revamped sustainability strategy until 2026, which speaks about being carbon neutral by 2040, mentions that they want to be carbon neutral in terms of scope one and two emissions, but they only want to minimize emissions from scope three. So it has, it's, it's reflects that Imperial has not yet developed a comprehensive plan to address scope three emissions completely. And this will be crucial for the college to achieve its sustainability goals.
1: In addition to that, I've already mentioned that Imperial College has set a target to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2040. However, since then we've seen quite a couple of institutions setting more aggressive targets such as achieving net zero by 2030 uh, not only across the world, but also within the UK.
0: And lastly, while we, while we notice that Imperial is doing some things on the community engagement frontier, some argue that it could do more to involve stakeholders such as staff, students and local community in its sustainability initiatives and decision-making processes. This could include greater collaboration with student groups and community organization, as well as more opportunities for feedback and input for stakeholders such as students.
1: But we don't only want to criticize. after all, our entire master's program is about finding solutions to the climate crisis and not just criticizing what's going wrong. So when we take a look at what has already been, what has already happened and what needs to be done, we've uh, identified five key areas of improvement. First one increasing, future usage uh, of Imperial. That includes, of course, increase in percentage of renewable energy sourcing as well as investing into on-site solar panels, potentially even other renewable energy technologies that come out of Imperial College. Setting targets for the percentage of energy that comes from renewable sources could be a very good measure way to track the progress. Secondly, um, as our energy usage increases over time, because of the electrification of all all other processes, we need to improve our energy efficiency. That means we have to take measures across all our facilities to reduce, reduce energy consumption nowadays, as well as upgrading lighting systems, installing smart heating and cooling controls, and of course, improving insulation all across campus. These measurable targets could be set for reducing energy consumption as well as energy efficiency with its associated carbon emissions.
0: Thirdly, we see potential for Imperial to work on its waste reduction efforts. It could work to reduce the amount of waste it generates and increase the amount that is recycled or composted and decrease the amount that is that goes to landfill. So this could include implementing a comprehensive waste reduction and recycling program, which could include potentially something like a tableware scheme, reusable scheme, such as Imperial has already one in place for CUPS. Although this has some barriers and it's it's a bit complicated and perhaps costly, there is significant for improvement in terms of waste management. Setting targets for waste reduction and increased recycling waste could be a measurable way to um, improve this or to to kind of be able to improve this. And fourthly, as I already mentioned, the scope three emissions are one area where Imperial is lacking a bit. So it should, or we suggest that Imperial develops a comprehensive plan to address scope three emissions, including emissions associated with procurement, travel and waste. This could include setting targets for reducing scope 3 emissions and developing strategies to work with suppliers, partners and students, but also using some kind of technological solutions to be able to better measure scope 3 emissions. As we heard in the interview with Ella, Imperial has consulted with external parties on their food and drink policy, so why not do the same for scope 3 emissions? Because scope 3 emissions are a challenging thing, but there is it's okay to ask for Last but not least, we ad, we would advise Imperial to get involved with the Carbon Target UK survey. Uh, this is a survey that kind of compares different universities and how much they're doing in terms of tackling climate change. It's has scores such as whether they have a sbti target given what the action plan is whether they offset some emissions and whether this emission offsetting is credible we think that being a part of this could reflect and boost imperial college's brand and reflect to its students that it is involved with organizations such this such as this one and also to be able for external partners to compare different universities on their sustainability performance
1: No. We've looked at what Imperial has been doing. We looked at what is currently happening to reduce emissions and we've also criticized what can be improved. Is this it? Definitely not. Our overall sustainability efforts need to go even further. We can't stop with the sustainability week but it's an it's an effort that is continuously happening. If you guys are interested into what Imperial is doing, the what we've, we've we've touched upon in this episode, feel free to simply use your Google or Ecosia to refer to and and look up sustainable Imperial and see what what's been happening. Also, we got to say impressive shout out to everyone who's already engaged with sustainability initiatives within Imperial as well as your community if you're no longer with Imperial or not yet at Imperial. And for everyone interested in the topic, join these groups and help make Imperial College a more sustainable place.
0: Yeah, Morris. I don't know if there's anything more to add rather than just that it's always about us people using these facilities, how we behave when we're on campus, even off campus, of course. And our individual behavior can have an impact. We are of course not saying, oh yeah, you have to change your behavior tomorrow. It's a long-term process to adapt, but just be aware, be mindful, even after sustainability week, Imperial gives a lot of resources on campus. They give a lot of information about the environmental impact of the choices that can be made. And just be aware when you walk around on campus and think about your choices, that's, that that's all we can do. And it all counts. So. Thank you very much for tuning in for this episode. We hope you're way more informed about what Imperial does on sustainability than you were before. And we'll see you guys next week.
1: Thank you all. Bye-bye.